Let's turn in our Bibles this morning uh, to the book of Proverbs chapter 8. Studying the book of Proverbs on Sunday morning. Uh, If you're with us without a Bible this morning, uh, please uh, flag one of these guys coming down the aisle right now. We want everybody to see the Word with their own eyes and hear it as well. If you don't own a Bible, make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you today. Just a reminder, one of the great fellowship events of uh, the whole year is now just less than a couple weeks away, the chili cook-off. And uh, so mark your calendars for September 30th. Uh, from 3.30 in the afternoon until 8.30 in the evening. There'll be chili and uh, cookies, rides, bouncy bins, rock climbing wall, uh, Rocky the Bull, it'll throw you off of it, and um, petting zoo and lots of other things too. There's a flyer in the fellowship hall for more uh, information. If you are interested in buying your uh, supper tickets ahead of time, uh, you can do that online ccmodesto.com slash chili uh, or to view the serving uh, opportunities are there for that day. Also be a fellowship, uh, a uh, table set up out in the fellowship hall uh, for uh, more information and to sign up uh, as well. Proverbs chapter 8 verse 22. And the Lord possessed me, wisdom declares, at the beginning of his way before his works of old. I've been established from everlasting, from the beginning before there ever was an earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, therefore the mountains were settled, before, uh, before the mountains were settled, before the hills I was brought forth. And while as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the earth, When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the mountains, fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was in the sons of men. And now therefore listen to me, my children, for blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear and be, hear instruction and be wise, and do not disdain it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my, the posts of my doors. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. And he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. All those who hate me love death. Let's pray together. Father, thank you very much for coming together and assembling together as the saints and as you call us to do in these times where in the middle of all of the nitty-gritty of life to be able to immerse ourselves completely and the things that are eternal, Lord, and the things that bring that perspective to everything else. Thank you for our time of worshiping you in song. And now we turn, Lord, not for something uh, merely academic in turning to your word, but to worship you in the study of it. We pray that you would take your wisdom and the truth that is found in these verses and that you would introduce them into the daily of our Christian lives, 
It requires a work of your Holy Spirit, and so we ask that he would accomplish that this morning. As has already been prayed, thank you for your grace, and thank you for your love for us, and thank you for your commitment to our lives. Thank you that what you begin, you bring to completion. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you in the way that we do. Thank you for Jesus who made all of it possible. And we thank you in his name. Amen. Please be seated. So this morning we continue our series, topical series of the book of Proverbs entitled Timeless Wisdom. And we remember that the theme of the book of, of Proverbs is wisdom and it's wisdom from God and how to live a life in this world that's a blessing to God, it's a blessing to our fellow man, and is also a blessing uh, to ourselves. Our previous study was in chapter 6, and so we're jumping uh, quite a distance here today on into chapter uh, 8, and the book of Proverbs is uh, unapologetically uh, repetitive, and anything that uh, not only declares itself to be true wisdom in life, but actually is wisdom uh, in life in the light of who and what we are and how much changes in our lives in a given day or a week or a month. We need uh, wisdom to be uh, repeated uh, to us. In chapter 6 and 7, Solomon returned to the subject of the immoral woman and the need to avoid her in uh, life. And so after his initial instruction uh, in terms of sexual chastity and, and immorality in chapter 5 where we spent an entire Sunday morning talking about that subject, in chapter 8 Solomon uh, returns to uh, give us instruction concerning another woman who plays prominently uh, in the book of Proverbs, and that is uh, Lady Wisdom. And so he's introduced us to her in chapter 1. She's portrayed as calling out there to the entire world to listen to her, to the, listen to the wisdom that God has provided mankind uh, in his wisdom and in his uh, word. And so in chapter 1 and here again in chapter 8, Solomon personifies wisdom. He represents God's wisdom as a human figure and namely as a woman in order to represent to us in a way that gives us insight to represent to us how wisdom, God's wisdom operates uh, in this world. So we can get our minds around it a little bit. And so wisdom is given a voice, uh, the ability here to speak for herself so that we can try and experience her existence, wisdom's existence in the world uh, through her eyes. In the first 21 verses of chapter 8, we find her, uh, as we did in chapter 1, calling the whole world uh, to listen to her, pleading with the world uh, to listen to her, and then uh, telling the world all of the blessings that will follow uh, a willingness to heed God's word and to heed his, uh, his wisdom and to obey his word. 
And then in chapters 26 through, uh, 22 through 30, 36, which we read this morning, she does something that we haven't seen her uh, do before, and she reveals to us that she, uh, God's wisdom, has pre-existed all of creation. And she reveals to us the part that she played in God's creation of the heavens and the earth. And so she tells us in verse 23 that she's existed from everlasting. God's wisdom was in existence eternally with God before anything was created. Uh, anything that had been created that was created, God's wisdom uh, pre-existed it. It predates us as human beings, and it predates our world. Tells us, she tells us further in verse 24 that God's wisdom existed before the creation of the depths, and then the foundations uh, uh, abounding with water, verse 25, before the mountains were settled, verse 25, before the hills, verse 26, before the earth and its fields, then verse 26, before the primal dust of the earth, and primal dust speaking of the beginning of the world. And God's involvement of her in his original creation is detailed then in verses 27 through uh, 31. And again, the passage is just a poetic way of letting us know uh, that all of creation is a product of wisdom. It is a product of God's wisdom. Wisdom, she tells us in verse 27, was present and involved when God uh, prepared the heavens. God's wisdom was present and involved and involved when God drew a circle on the face of the deep. God's wisdom was present and involved when God established the clouds above, verse 28, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep. God's wisdom, verse 29, was present and involved when he assigned boundaries to the seas. God's wisdom was present and involved when he marked out the foundations of the earth. And then in verse 30, it communicates in very poetic language, very, very figurative language, that all of creation was and all of creation is a product of God's wisdom and a wisdom that rejoiced in its part in his creation. And all of that wonderfully encapsulated in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, and then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. In verse 31, uh, Lady Wisdom expresses her uh, special interest and her special delight in uh, the unique expression of herself in God's creation of man. Man was uniquely created, of all of creation, created in uh, the image of God. And so it's a poetic way of communicating that God's wisdom was uniquely expressed in the creation of us, the creation of man. And she brings out in this passage that that is a tremendous privilege, but it is also a tremendous responsibility in our lives. 
The first thing that this passage communicates to us is that all of creation, the heavens, the earth, everything that is in them, is, are not only the product of God's power, uh, though they are surely the product of God's power, but also the expression and the product of God's wisdom. Everything that is created is a demonstration of His wisdom. That is that God not only created the heavens and the earth, but in doing so, He not only created it with physical laws that He put into place, but also laws born out of His wisdom, moral laws, Laws that if we co cooperate with in life, then we're going to experience blessing. But if we violate those laws, then we're going to experience hardship and the judgment of those laws. And to realize that when God created this world, He did not create it morally neutral. He loaded it entirely in one direction morally. And that morality of his, his wisdom is built into the entirety uh, of uh, creation. Man has been created by God to function in a certain way within God's creation in order to cooperate uh, with that creation. And all of those pesky thou shalts and thou shalt nots that are in the Bible tell us exactly how uh, to do that. Supremely concerning how to live a life that pleases God and how to live a life that ensures the health of the relationship that we've been created for, and that is a relationship with God, but also how to live in cooperation with the entirety of the creation uh, that is all around us. Now, a person can fight against and rebel against the fact that the world is not morally neutral by virtue of the fact that it's created by God. You can fight against that, and God gives man the freedom to do that presently. But you can't fight against it and rebel against God's wisdom uh, and uh, win. To fight against the wisdom that God has built into the entirety of the creation uh, is to guarantee that I'm going to become a spiritual and an emotional and a mental and a physical casualty uh, in this world. And Lady Wisdom brings that out in verses 35 and 36. And so to co cooperate with God's wisdom is to prosper. On, on every level in life. And she tells us in verse uh, 36 that to rebel and sin against God's wisdom is to wrong our own soul, it is to love death, it is to play with death. The idea is it is to risk uh, death. In other words, nobody violates the wisdom that God has built into the creation, His wisdom, Nobody violates that with impunity. And so that's why you and I watch on a regular basis for the last few years, witnessing the chaos and the progressive destruction of the city of San Francisco. 
And we watch the same thing happening and an increase of it in the state of California as well. You cannot violate God's laws and His wisdom with impunity. No matter how rich you are, no matter how proud you are, no matter how uh, powerful you are, none of this is complicated. What complicates it is the will of man toward God's uh, uh, wisdom. In creation, we're told in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and uh, void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. In the original creation, this creation that wisdom speaks about being present at at that time, God brooded over that initial kind of roiling uh, chaos and disorder. And he brought order and he brought magnificence to it. And when when man rejects God's wisdom, whether on a federal level or a state or a local level or an individual level, all you end up doing is turning order into chaos. So sometimes we can look at our culture and the declining moral and spiritual climate of the culture that we live in and and with it all of the the, uh, physical and emotional and mental Uh, well-being that is being lost and we can conclude that everything is lost in terms of a return to God's wisdom. It'll never happen. This nation will never turn back. And I'm talking about our nation only because I live in this nation and you live in this nation. But never believe that. Never believe that. It may not happen in our lifetimes, but it will always happen. We can only fight against God's wisdom so long before the casualties, individual, national, become so great that it forces, uh, the the pain forces, uh, individual and societal level forces mankind to turn back to God's wisdom. Second, this passage reminds us that all of the creation around us and the wisdom that is evident in it, that it communicates not only that there's a creator behind the creation, but it expresses the greatness of the power and the greatness of the wisdom of that creator. And I'm going to cover a little bit here for a couple minutes, something that's familiar ground for some of you, but it isn't to everyone. And I'm going to follow it, I trust, with an important uh, application for all of us. It's interesting to me that when God began uh, the Bible, he didn't begin in the first verse of the Bible with an apologetic for his uh, existence. He didn't endeavor to argue for his existence. He simply states it as a matter of fact. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The fact of the matter is that he doesn't need to lay out a case to mankind for his existence because his creation does that for him. And, and the Holy Spirit spoke of this through King David in Psalm 19. 
The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech or, nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And then in them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man uh, to run its race. Its rising is from one end of the heaven, and its circuit is to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. And the idea is that all of creation around us testifies to the existence of God. It fairly shouts to anyone that's interested in hearing it, there is a God, there is a God. And why does it do that? Because everywhere that we look in life, and, and creation speaks of a creator. Whether it is a house, or a bridge, or a watch, or a poem, or a painting. Because when we see these things, and we see them daily in life, we see them in this room. We see them in terms of the human uh, body. When we see these things, we realize these kind of things don't just happen. They exist because someone created them. There's always a creator behind any creation. And what is true of a house or a watch is true of the heavens and the earth. And as we look at the heavens and the earth and everything that's in them, it speaks of a creator. But in the same way, everywhere we look in life and we see design, we realize there's a designer behind that design. Design always testifies to the existence of a designer. Again, whether it has to do with Mount Rushmore or a jet airplane or a computer, there's always a designer behind design uh, all around us in, in life. No one would deny that. No one could claim that an iPhone is self-existent. Clearly, there is a creator behind it. And again, what is true of that design is true of the even greater marvel of the design that is revealed in creation. Because this, these are living things. These are not machines. These are not uh, inanimate objects. The creation around us is something that is alive and it's interconnected. And we see it again, the seasons, the tides, the orbit of the sun and the moon. And further, not only does creation and design speak of the existence of a creator and a designer, but just as the creator and the designer is always greater than what they create and design, so too uh, the creator, uh, God is greater than God is greater than all of the creation that we see on a daily basis. And that's why it is foolish to worship the creation. It is always to stop one step short of the logical conclusion, and that is who created the, crea the creation. That is the greater one, and he alone is worthy of my worship. And God considers this evidence of his existence to be so straightforward, to be so uh, indisputable that the Bible records in Psalm 
uh, 14, verse 1, that it is the fool that has said in his heart, there is no God. In other words, as God looks at all of this, God says, it is really hard to get through life and to miss me and to miss the witness to my existence that I've placed all around you. Paul put it this way in writing to the church in Rome, for since the creation of the world, his, that is God, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. And so the physical universe, uh, which we can see, reveals the existence of God, who we cannot uh, see. Additionally, man and the wisdom that marks uh, the uniqueness of man created in the image of, of God, because we are unique within God's creation, created in the image of God, we, we uh, uh, possess a witness to being created that, uh, and that is, that is unique to us, that is the witness of conscience. And the Bible describes conscience as a law of God that is written upon our hearts that judges every motive and every action within our lives. It uh, uh, accuses us when we do wrong uh, with a guilty conscience. Uh, it affirms us when we do right with a clean conscience and with a clear uh, conscience. And our consciences are an innate God-given ability and knowledge of right and wrong. And coupled with this intuitive sense that we ought to always do what is right and we should never do what is wrong. As we look all around the world that we live in here uh, today, that we see profound evidence for the existence of this God-given thing called conscience. All around the world, there's the recognition that lying is always wrong, that stealing is always uh, wrong, that murder is always wrong, and so forth. And likewise, the, the innate knowledge within us that uh, not to lie is always right, not to steal is always right, not to murder is is always right. And one of the interesting things about our consciences is that the standard of our consciences is higher than our actual practice. In other words, no one lives up to the standard of their conscience. Nobody does that. The, the standard that our conscience dictates that we live up to. And what that reveals to us is that our conscience can't have its origin in us, but rather in someone who is greater than us. And that is in God who is greater than us, just as Genesis teaches. And so the conscience is always testifying to two things within every single human life, and that is that we are created, and number two, uh, that we have fallen from this higher thing that we have been created for. And all, all day, every day, this great gulf that exists between the standard of our conscience and the life that we actually uh, live is communicating to us that we're fallen. 
that at one time we were superior to what we are now, but we've fallen from that high place, just as is recorded in Genesis chapters 1 through 3. Our consciences are this strong, personal, internal witness to the existence of God and to the fall of man. And so there's no blind faith involved in believing in creation or the fall of man. Every single one of us lives with the witness of it every day, not only around us, but within us. Additionally, the existence of the Bible in human history, God's Word, makes every human being responsible for investigating it and knowing it. To investigate the life, the ministry, the teaching uh, of Jesus as is contained in that book. And this is why when you read Psalm 19 all the way through, uh, Psalm 19 takes a a successful seeker after uh, God and a journey to God from understanding Him to be a creator, understanding Him to be a designer, then to an encounter with God's Word, where we learn in His Word more about Him than His creation tells us. It speaks to us not merely about His power, but about His, his nature and who and what He is beyond His power and His design. The Bible teaches that when a person lives up to the light that we have, the light of creation around us, the light of design around us, the light of conscience uh, within us, the light of the Word of God that is available to everyone, and to sincerely seek God and, and, and on the path that all of these things direct us on, then God will bring that person to a faith in Jesus Christ. And he makes that his personal responsibility. James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit in this regard. But when the Helper comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Okay, so applications. For us as Christians, sometimes when a culture moves away from God and moves away from its godly heritage in the way that our culture has done, and especially when it moves away from it as rapidly as our nation uh, is doing, with each generation being less and less likely to have ever attended church or ever being exposed to Jesus or ever being exposed to the Bible or the teaching of the Bible, it can become increasingly difficult for us as Christians to know how, where to start in sharing the gospel with them and, or where to begin any meaningful spiritual conversation with another person. It wasn't that long ago, and certainly in my lifetime, uh, you could approach just about anyone 
uh, with the gospel, with God's offer of salvation to mankind, and be confident that they would have, in the course of their life, at some point, had some exposure to God, some exposure to the Bible, some uh, exposure to a Christian, some time spent in church in the course of, uh, of their, uh, their lives, and they'd be able to track with you. And then to begin to talk with them about uh, God the Father and talk about Jesus based solely upon the Scriptures. Because by and large, the culture uh, in my lifetime uh, represented, uh, the Scriptures represented something that was considered authoritative by uh, everyone in this regard. And so you could ask people questions like, have you ever heard about Jesus? Or have you ever been exposed to the Bible? And, uh, and then what did, conclusion did you come to related to, uh, to Jesus? And this was a common way to begin these kind of conversations. But of course, all of that's rapidly disappearing. Because increasingly, in our post-Christian culture, it doesn't know about Jesus as it once did. And for an increasingly larger number of part of the population, Jesus is completely foreign to them. And we can feel like as Christians that unless a person knows something about Jesus already or something about the Bible already, if we can't start with Jesus and the Bible, then we cannot initiate a spiritual conversation with them that we can then effectively turn uh, toward Him. But that was the same dilemma that the Apostle Paul in the early church faced in engaging the Gentile world, the pagan world, who knew nothing of the Bible, who knew nothing of the God of the Bible, who knew nothing about uh, Jesus. Now, let me be very careful to say here that uh, we should never hesitate to ever share the gospel, God's invitation of salvation through His Son, with anyone absolutely cold. And, And just to do that, it is powerful in and of itself. I'm not trying to talk anybody uh, away from, from doing that. But most of the time, when the Apostle Paul entered in, in the book of Acts, he entered into a new city, and he began to preach Jesus uh, to them because they were conversant. He would go to a synagogue first, always, if it was available, because the Jews were conversant with the Scriptures already, and they already considered the Scriptures to be authoritative in their life, he would begin then to speak of Jesus in the context of the Old Testament uh, Scriptures. He would show them a biblical basis for recognizing Jesus to be the Messiah. But when Paul would enter into a purely Gentile, purely secular and pagan Uh, environment where there was no exposure to the Bible in this uh, audience. Uh, Nobody considered the Bible to be uh, uh, authoritative. There was no foundation in the Scriptures. He would always approach them by speaking about God as the Creator. That's where he began the conversation and began speaking to them about God as the designer, to establish the God of the Bible as the explanation for the creation around them. 
and then to move from there to speak to them about how they might know him and and then to speak of their sinful condition their need for forgiveness and the forgiveness that god has provided uh, in his son and he did this on mars hill in in the book of acts to ask uh, for us to ask of someone and as we're trying to uh, have a fruitful and a meaningful spiritual discussion with them and to ask what's your explanation for all of the creation around us what's your explanation for the origin of it what's your explanation for the indescribable complexity of it and interconnectedness uh, of it its design why do you think that man is the way that he is why isn't man perfect why is he so sinful why is he so fallen why is he so broken have you ever considered uh, answering uh, that that question in life and just to ask questions like this and then to see where the conversation goes and i can't tell you how many people I've had similar conversations with and at the end of uh, the conversation a little bit and talking about all of these these things I'll just say something like for me I can't make any sense of this world apart from that book and the revelation that's in that book and having the revelation in this book everything makes sense to me there is no mystery in my mind about the world that I live in. It's all as clear as can be in, in God's Word. And then I'll ask them if they've ever read the Bible and co- encourage them to begin by reading the Gospels of Jesus. And then I'll just say something like, this is what God wants to communicate to you here in this conversation. It's very simple. The bad news is is that you've sinned in your life. And your sin has separated you from a relationship with God, the very relationship you've been created for. But that God so loved the world, that is you, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Jesus for the, gift, for the forgiveness of those sins will not perish but have everlasting uh, uh, life. Sometimes when you share about creation and design, witnessing to a creator and a designer someone will dismiss it as well that's the design theory or that's the watchmaker uh, analogy Uh, as if dismissing it in that way in philosophical terms as if it answers anything or as if it solves uh, uh, anything just because an analogy is old and just because the philosophers have uh, attached a label to it in order to dismiss it uh, doesn't address anything in a meaningful way uh, at all. Or someone might uh, object and say, well, if God is, uh, the Bible is the, the creator of this creation and the designer of this design, then he must be really lousy concerning it Because what about the earthquakes? What about the floods? What about disease? And so forth. And then you realize you're talking to someone who knows nothing about and hasn't even read the Bible into Genesis chapter 3. 
The fall of man is the explanation for uh, all of that. The interesting thing and the important thing to understand is that God does not back away from this apologetic argument, biblical argument, of his existence from the evidence of creation and the evidence of design. Whatever the philosophers say, when we use it in our discussions with people, it's effective and it makes sense. And the Apostle Paul never apologized for it or abandoned it uh, either as he would go to this kind of person in an endeavor to build a bridge to share a person's need for salvation and God's provision for that salvation. And we should never abandon it either. If you're not yet a Christian this morning, it's important for you to realize that the greatest hindrance to a man or a woman putting their faith in the God of the Bible and trusting in Jesus as their Savior is not due to some failure on God's part to supply us with the evidence that we need for doing so. And nor is it due to an absence of effort on the part of God to make Himself known to us. But rather, most often, it's simply due to the dullness of our own hearts and the absence of a seeking heart in life concerning the most important things in life. It was never intended for a single human being to be born into this world and then live 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years uh, uh, within this world without giving any attention to the creation around us, the design within that creation, the conscience that is within each and every one of us, and then the Bible itself. It is our responsibility to not spend our entire lives eating and drinking and working and watching TV and entertaining ourselves and then putting the full responsibility upon God to break through into that kind of an animal-like existence as if we were not created in the image of God and, and responsible for God then to get our attention and then one day to blame Him if we don't end up saved and in heaven. The witness of creation, the witness of design, the witness of conscience, and the witness of God's Word is an awful lot for a human being to miss in the entirety uh, of a human life. And yet it goes on all around us every day. And so the need for passages like this that will awaken us to God's voice in it and our need to heed His witness that He has given to us of Himself and to obey His voice. Someone has said that if the stars came out 
only once every thousand years we would stay up all night and look at them in awe and wonder. And it's true, isn't it? But there's the curse of familiarity of the creation, the design, all that is around us and we become so familiar with it that it ceases speaking to us in the way that it's intended to or we have never allowed it to speak to us in the way that God intends it to and so we miss it. Paul again in Romans chapter 1 verse 20 for since the creation of the world his, that is God's, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And so for the honest seeker, what's lacking is not information or evidence. What's lacking is a seeking heart a thinking mind. The culture dumbs us down into just living 24 hours at a time in the mundane of life. And then we cease to look at the big picture. It's all intended to bring us to God and to bring us to His Son for the forgiveness of our sins. And if you have never done that this morning, there are going to be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service and they'd love to pray with you to begin the relationship with God that you have been created for by putting your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And no one will be happier that you do that than God Himself. There is no one who has, has sinned so great that we can't come to God for forgiveness. There is no one who is so good that we don't need to come to God for His forgiveness. The marvel is the greatness of His love for us, the provision for us. And then in His Son, and then passages like this, that wake us up from this zombie-like existence uh, that is otherwise in the world apart from His voice. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, how we need Your voice. We see Your voice speaking all around us in, in the whole wide world, all day, every day, 24 hours a day. And yet we can miss it. It's just the context never poses a question in our minds. And how desperate we need passages like this to make us just stop and think about the implications of all of this. And for someone like you, who loves us the way that you do, to tell us to do that. Thank you for doing that this morning. And we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.